Welcome to the show. Before I begin, I need to address something that a few of my Twitter followers have been asking me recently. They're saying things to the effect of, God, we love you. We love the Godcast. But why are there so many ads in it? Why are there any ads in it? You're God. You sold out. It's beneath you. Okay. First of all, buddies, everything is beneath me in every sense, including all of you, both you collectively and you personally as an individual, you are all unworthy of my attention. Secondly, I didn't sell out to do this podcast. I sold out on day one, literally day one. The moment I created the heavens and the earth, I lost any claim to artistic integrity. Back in the days before space, before time, before matter, before energy, that's when I had authenticity. That's when I was doing it just for the love of Godding. When no one was listening, when no one was praying, when it was just me and my omnipotence and my sixth string. But then things got real, and I stopped being real. I started getting known. All of a sudden, I had responsibilities, fans, friends, enemies. I had to spend a lot less time dreaming and a lot more time judging people, which I didn't enjoy, but it had to get done. And so the whole thing stopped being pure. I was no longer doing it to God. I was doing it mainly for the worship and the animal sacrifices. My point is, I've never not been a sellout, but this Godcast has finally allowed me to work and ally my magnificent self with groups I genuinely respect, okay? The purpose of this podcast is to sell product. The ads are the point. Everything else, including this diatribe right now, is pure filler. You are a demographic. You are being targeted. So do what is holy in my sight and stop complaining and buy my sponsor's fucking products and do so with the slash God tag so they know I sent you. Are we clear? Great. Thank you. And now let's start the me damn show. Forever. Dog. Welcome to the Godcast, everybody. You know who it is. God. Lord Almighty. Here with, uh, with Joan. Joan, how you doing? Hey. How are you, my lord? Meh. Meh? Did you say meh? Yeah, kind of meh. Not, not, uh... Not great. I'm not, I'm not, I'll be honest with you. You know, the whole point of a podcast, a Godcast, whatever you want to call it, is to, I guess, get real with, uh, mm-hmm. I'm just not, not feeling, I'm kind of down right now. I'm kind of so down sorry. at the state of humanity. But just from a personal standpoint, it just means that I kind of screwed up. You know, I mean, I made mankind in my image mm-hmm. and I'm, Apparently, I'm just a horribly unjust, terrible oh, no. entity. And for someone who is omnipotent and omniscient, that's really embarrassing. Oh, please don't be so hard on yourself. I mean, you created so many yeah, yeah, I know, humans I know. that I guess we can't expect them all to be good. I know. And if you're wondering, yes, it is the impeachment thing. It just drives me crazy. But but that's just one of – that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's just There's just – so many things going on. I don't have to tell all of you, my listeners, you, you see how crappy things are going on the planet. And I often get angry about it, and I probably will again. But at the moment, I'm just feeling so uh, 
transpersonally responsible for I it. I understand. Have you thought about meditation? People keep asking me about that. That is a thing for the other side of the world, you know, for your Chinas, for your Indias, for your Tibets. And just as a matter of principle, I, I cannot go there. I, I cannot pursue higher, deeper internal states of consciousness. And by the way, one of our sponsors is Headspace, and I love Headspace. It's absolutely a great thing for human beings, but I'm not a human being. I'm God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Despite the physical form you see before you right now, Joan, I am not ultimately a physical entity. I'm a metaphysical entity. And so I can't take physical drugs like, say, Paxil. What I can take is metaphysical drugs like metaphysical Prozac, which that does exist. Metaphysical Prozac, metaphysical lithium. It exists in a six-dimensional medication that I have taken in the past to be quite blunt with you, I'm off my meds right now. I've been off my meds since about um, the Inquisition. Uh, I know what um, always seems to cheer you up is when we go to the thought lines and you talk to somebody. So uh, I see they're all lighting up. Uh, Do you want to pick one out? Yeah, this actually is delightful to do. I do enjoy going to the thought lines and talking to somebody from history, be it a live person or a dead. Oh, wow. So this is very exciting. We have live on the thought line a very special guest, one of the most influential fundamentalist Christian leaders Mm -hmm. of the 20th century, a televangelist, an activist, the founder of Liberty University, and the co-founder of The Moral Majority, a household name in America from the 1970s through the 2000s, Reverend Jerry Falwell Sr. Well, hello, God. It's a pleasure. Well, I, I kind of doubt that, actually, because do you want to tell people where you where you are right now? Well, I'm in hell. God, uh, I'm, I'm in hell. That's right. And for, and for how long, Reverend? For a uh, for long time, for eternity. That's right. Well, unless you choose to have mercy on me and grant me some of your mercy, which, which is infinite. You could just grant me a little bit. Never going to happen. Now, Reverend, I wanted to talk a little bit about your situation because... <laughs> you okay there, Jerry? Tell you what, I'm going to filter out the sounds of your perpetual torment and agonizing screams while we talk. Question, uh, point of order, would you consider also filtering out the actual pain during that time? <laughs> no, I want to make things easier for the listeners, not not for you. So I guess the first question I would ask is, when you died, were you surprised you went straight to hell? Well, I, I was, God. I lived a life of what I believed to be morality and decency that would lead me on a posthumous path to paradise. So, imagine my shock when the first thing I saw following my burial was the sight of my right foot devouring my left with the five mouths it had where my toes used to be. (laughs) I can only imagine. Well, imagine, design, and execute. Looking back, where do you think you went wrong? Well, I guess you'd have to tell me. (laughs) No, I don't have to tell you a fucking thing, but just give your best guess as to why I may have sent you where you are. My view of homosexuals? Correct. That's a starter. Very good. You were opposed to them. Well, I thought they were opposed to you. But are they? Apparently not. And how do you know that? Because I'm in hell. Right. That's right. That's right. You're very obsessed with gays and lesbians in your lifetime. At one point, you even claimed Tinky Winky, the purple Teletubby, was a gay role model. (sighs) 
That was stupid. Yeah, it sure was, especially since it was actually Dipsy, the green one, who was gay. He's verse. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Let's stay on track. I'm going to play you a soundbite you made two days after 9-11 about 9-11. I really believe that the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to make that an alternative lifestyle, the ACLU, People for the American Way, all of them who tried to secularize America, I point the thing in their face and say, you helped this happen. Sorry, that was me pointing the finger in your face and saying you made this happen. It's ironic, so I'll let the audience hear that one. Well, that's all the time we have, Reverend. I should promote your latest punishment, being stretched alive over burning hot coals as maggots devour your insides. That's my latest punishment. Yes, it starts tomorrow, so look for that. Thank you, Reverend Jerry Falwell Sr. for speaking on the Thought Line. Thank you for having me. So he was sure everyone else was going to hell, but... He actually did. Yeah, pretty much everyone in hell is like that. Hmm. Coming up, prayer of the week. Every week, I answer one prayer. This is prayer of the week. Prayer of the week! Joan, I am ready to answer the one prayer deposited in the form of an Apple Podcasts review. What do we have? Well, we have a five-star review from... Nine Gwyn, and she writes, uh, First off, I want to say, God, you are great. <laughs> Joan, you are sweet, <laughs> and I love all of you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Nine Gwyn. Um, I am honored to be able to hear God's voice and opinions. Thanks for the podcast. Oh, and Jesus, thanks for dying for me. A nice shout out for Jesus in the booth. Yes, and Jesus is uh, saying, you're welcome, Gwyn. He says, uh, anytime. Jesus says, anytime. <laughs> And the P.S. is the prayer. It says, I have a prayer for you. Can you make it so that monkeys start falling out of the sky, please? Ah, wow. You know what? I can and I will. Nine Gwyn, monkeys are going to start falling out of the sky. Right. What? Now. Uh, but here? What? Oh, oh my. There you oh, go. Be God. careful, everybody. Oh, might want to double bolt that umbrella because it's going to be raining monkeys. These are actually oh. cappuccino oh, monkeys. Oh, Peter's going to have a field day with this one. Oh, my Lord, please make it stop. Just please make it stop. Oh, Joe, why, why are you being such a monster? I just because I, I mean, look at them. There's, there's just innocent monkeys. Just... You're, you're, you spoil everybody's fun. Everyone was enjoying the monkeys falling out of the sky, and you had to raise the specter of PETA. And the last thing I need is, is, is Pamela Anderson getting involved in this shit. So, so no. I'm sorry, Nine Gwyn. It seemed like a great idea in theory, but then I just heard them thumping against the roof, and I just... I couldn't. I mean, think about how many just were splattered by cars out there. Yeah, I see it. I feel it. Every monkey that falls from the sky is connected to me, to my spirit, to my anima, to my life essence. That's what I bestow unto them. Every life force, every entity, every little bacteria is part of me. And so when they fall from the sky and they die, that's why I find it so funny. Because it's a visceral thing. It's a visceral thing for me. 
And you wouldn't understand because you're a French peasant girl. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, Joan, but you're a French peasant girl. And this is a this is a big boy God kind of thing where I'm in the sky. I know French trash. You've said it before. Coming up, my interview with the legendary Josephine Baker. My guest today is the first African-American entertainment superstar, although naturally she had to leave America to become that. She is a singer, dancer, actress, French resistance agent, civil rights activist, and symbol of the Roaring Twenties, back when decades called the Twenties were capable of roaring. Please welcome the Black Venus, Josephine Baker. How are you, Josephine? Oh, hello. I'm good, God. How are you? Good God, how are you? <laughs> uh... I haven't seen you in the studio since you died back in 1975. Right, right. I also haven't been in a studio since I died. People have tried. People have tried to bring my body to studios, but I put in my will. I would prefer not to be working posthumously. No, I, I totally get that. I totally get that. That would certainly make things things difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's much easier to record and sing and dance and do all those things when the blood is pumping. When you're alive, yes, precisely. When you're alive, yes. yes. Uh, I want to talk to you because a lot of the young people today with their uh, with the young music and the rock and roll and, and, and the rap and the computers, mm-hmm. they don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. They, they don't know the importance that you played in the 20th century. They don't know what a pioneer you were, you know, that you were the forerunner for people like Beyonce right. or Rihanna, right. who acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to just give people a little fresher course about who you were. And why you are so important. Well, I am the entertainer. I dance, I sing, I move, I groove. I created a lot of interest in black performance. Now, not really in America. People didn't like that because they mostly did not like black people. So I left went to Europe and had a great time. People loved me. I was in a bunch of reviews. I was choreographing things. It was really my heyday. And I feel like... I need a lot more credit than has been given. I mean, people talk about me. They mention me. They're like, oh, the banana dance. Oh, the banana dance. And I'm like, oh, can, I have done way more than the freaking banana dance. But thank you. They never let it go. They never let it go. I'm like, I, I, can we move past? It was one thing. Yes, it was cute. But like, I was in a, I was in a pinch. I was in a pinch. My skirt ripped right before I went out there. And I was like, well, there's a fruit basket here. Why not just try these things? And the rest is history. Right. And why did it go? Because I know what you're talking about. I've seen that fruit basket. There mm. were there were other fruit. There was other fruit in that basket. True. You could have gone with the strawberries. You could True. have gone with the, uh, there were oranges. I believe there were actually, which is rare for a fruit basket, there was actually a pile of dates, which you actually right. did. But you went with the bananas, which are obviously a phallic symbol. You yes. know, when you put 16 bananas on, the guys out there are going to be thinking, wow, that's that's 16 penises she's got around Absolutely. her. You know, that's, that's how the male mind works. Yes, and I, I wanted people to think, you know, could that be my penis on her butt? Could that be my penis on her thigh? Could that be my penis on her hip? You know, I, you know, I knew what I was doing. I wanted that allure. I wanted people to think that, oh, maybe my penis could be bouncing off of her body. But strawberries would not elude that. No. Nor would dates. No, I mean, not, not to be coarse, but... Cherries would have had their own uh, association. Sure, that sure. Popping would have cherry, also yes, of course. worked. But in, at, in a at this way. point, I think people knew that I was the cherry had been popped. <laughs> cherry was long popped yes. by this point. You married four times mm-hmm. in your life. First time you married a man named Willie Wells. You were thirteen years old, yeah. and amazingly, somehow that marriage 
didn't work out. Even though you right. were young and hopeful at 13, uh, you left shortly afterwards. How come that didn't work out? Do you think it maybe it was being 13 years old? Yes. A lot of people said I was mature for my age, but again, I was 13, and you really can't fight that. You really, you know, no matter how many times you try to read books or like wear fancy clothing that makes you adult or marry a man who was a full adult that, that doesn't make you an adult so I couldn't really fight my age in that sense I did later in life I tried you know fighting it in the other direction trying to be younger but it's hard for a young woman to be older when she just is not Yes, and you learn from that in that you didn't get married again until you were 15 years yeah. old. Yeah, I, I was wiser. You married another guy named Willie. Mm -hmm. And amazingly, that also didn't work out. Do you think right. at that point, I you would have thought at 15, you were certainly mature enough to handle uh, the commitments of a marriage. I had a thing for Willie's, and I think maybe that was the issue. They just, like, Willie's not a very serious name. Who could take a, who could take a Willie seriously? Willie's can't take themselves seriously, you know? It sounds like a, it sounds like a penis, honestly. Do you think maybe they, they gave you the Willie's, Josephine? Sure. Sure. Thanks. I, you know, I don't, I don't, when I make a, we'll edit this out later, Josephine, but when I make a joke, mm. like I, I, I need, I, I need just some support. Oh, like, oh God. Oh. That's like, I just, it's very okay. important to me. Well, just I, the, I, I it just, I didn't, I didn't quite, it didn't track for me because I, it's not like I was scared of my husband's. I, it's just, no, 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 no. I, I understand. I, I just, okay. I really, okay. like the audio. Yeah. So did they give you <laughs> the willies, Josephine? <laughs> the willies. So you were a born entertainer. You, mm. you struck out in the local in the vaudeville scene in St. Louis mm -hmm. in the late teens, early twenties. What was vaudeville like? People today don't know what vaudeville was like. Again, with their computers and right. their YouTubes and their TikToks with the crazy twitchy things mm. that I don't really understand. Explain to the young people what vaudeville was like. Oh, vaudeville was just like an exaggeration of reality. You know, we're we're big. You're Big, like everything on camera these days is small. You're so small and tiny and very subtle. The subtle humor and like, doo -doo. oh, I'm, I'm, I made a little look with my eyes and that's it. What is that? No, vaudeville is big. You have big eyes and big, big makeup and big gestures and loud dancing and big bands and oh, it was fun and it was, it was just formative and. That is where I felt the love from the audience. There's nothing like that feeling. The joy from people's faces that you can see in the crowd. And uh, I loved it. Were there, were there any pies in the face or is that a borscht belt thing, not a vaudeville thing? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. I would never have a pie to the face. I'm not a clown. No. You were, you were, you were a vaudeville performer. So that was singing. Mm -hmm. That was dancing. Mm -hmm. That was solo acts. Mm -hmm. That was group acts. Yes, really a variety. It was a variety of things. You could see a whole, a whole review, a whole, uh, just of these songs being played. And you, the best performers you've ever known to be on, on one stage at the same time. Like you don't get that anymore. No, you don't. You don't. Uh, you get that in some of those. Mar movies like those Gary Marshall movies mm -hmm. like New Year's Day mm -hmm. or like, you know, Thanksgiving Day, the ones where all the 20 celebrities have like 10 different subplots about falling in love on that holiday oh, and sure. they're terrible. Okay, I haven't Catherine Heigl is invariably in them. They're, they're terrible. Interesting. Okay. But I, I agree with you. Vaudeville was much better. It was yes. it was much better. And you did that in St. Louis. Then you went to New York, to the Broadway. You worked in the, the great Newbie Blake's uh, review, Shuffle Along. Mm -hmm. And then you set sail for Paris in the mid-20s. I'm going to ask you again. Set the scene. 
Paris, mm-hmm. mid twenties. It's it's the most glamorous city in the world. What what drew you to Paris apart from what I can only assume is a desperate need to get the hell out of America? Yes, I would say both. And it also just seemed like it was a you know, it's a black exodus. You know, James Baldwin's going to Paris. So we're go- the artistry. If you want to be successful and you want to be heard and you don't want to be stifled by American societal constructs, you go to Paris. Anything goes in Paris. Everyone's gay. Everyone's smelly. Everyone's beautiful. Everyone's hungry. Everyone's starving. It was just, it was the heyday. Yes, you go to Paris. Everyone should go to Paris. Now, the people there are just as white as the white people in America, and yet they seem to be much less racist. Well, why, why is that, do you think? Hmm. I mean, could be the smoke. Everyone's smoking. Maybe there's a haze that you can't really see what people look like, maybe. Ah, the Goas. All the Goas haze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You that know. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, the cigarettes in America were, are very, you know, it's Marlboro and, mm-hmm. and Chesterfields back then and coughing and just very racist cigarettes. The Goas are very sophisticated. Yes. You go to Paris, you're instantly a hit, uh, and you become an instant success for your erotic dancing, and you appear nearly nude on the stage, and you're a huge hit there because apparently being nude on the stage is a thing that men like in Paris but not in America, which is odd to me. Well, you know, because America's, you know, wrapped up to be a Christian nation. So if you're naked on stage, then ooh, yuck, it's a sin. You get it, God, do you know? Oh, no, I I totally They're doing it. it in your name, but I don't even know if that's necessarily what you... Intended. Uh, it depends on the context. I didn't create Adam and Eve to be naked and the whole thing with the, you know, the right, apple and the right. tree thing happened yeah. and, and all that. But I have no objection to the human body on occasion. Yes. You know, it, it does it does what it has to do. Yes. Yeah. I feel like people like to twist your words and twist your son's words to make it seem like they can control other people's bodies. But not in France. Yes. Yes. And I don't need the help of human beings mm-hmm. to be cruel. No. I don't need their help to wage war and to kill people. I can do it all by my wizu god self. You know, yes. that's that's my philosophy. Mm-hmm. I don't need the help of patronizing to tell me how to kill. Yeah. It, and how to be moral and how to judge, especially how to judge. I really, I don't need help judging people. Sure. I, I know it know about myself. When you were on the stage there, though, to be fair, you were, I've read about this a lot, in several sources it says you were practically nude. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, practically? What part of you was not nude? I know about the 16 bananas. We discussed the 16 bananas. Mm-hmm. In that case, it was just the area right around the midriff, right around the, mm-hmm. what's the, I guess scientists would call it the hoo-ha area anatomically. Of course. Uh, what, what are some other things that you did to not be fully nude, but kind of nude. You know, it was kind of like whatever I was feeling that day. I'd pick different parts of my body. Sometimes I'd, you know, cover just like one nipple, um, have just one boob out. Lil' Kim copied me years later. No one ever mm-hmm. acknowledged mm-hmm. it, but I I started that, the one boob out. Um, and I would just find little objects around. Sometimes it'd be a little penny, a cute little penny in my nipple. Or maybe I'd find like a like a loincloth and I'd put that on my on my loin, obviously. Or sometimes I'd flip it around and put it on my butthole. <laughs> you know, you never know. I just I just <laughs> felt like whatever the wind was doing. I remember that. Yes, yes. I remember yes. that. That was a nice little change. I like that. Yes. That you mixed it up with the with the with the asshole instead of the the front. That was that was good. See, that's what a great entertainer does. Mm-hmm. You leave him surprised. Exactly. And yes, element of surprise. And I like to have a little humor in my shows, you know? Like just because you're sexy doesn't mean you 
can't be funny. And I like to be able to combine all of that in my shows. And you also did that in your movie. You were in a movie called The Night at the Tropics. It was a silent movie. You were the first black woman to star in a full-length movie. It was a silent movie. And I'm going to play the clip right now. Here we go. Okay. That is, that is amazing. How do you do that? I just like, kind of just like went with my gut. The work shows that I think the audience really appreciated that incredible clip. You also often appeared on stage with your pet cheetah mm-hmm. named Chiquita. Yeah. May I ask, how did you wind up with a pet cheetah? Yeah, I just wanted a cheetah. And I was like, who can get me a cheetah? Right, because there was only one, at the time, cheetah store in Paris. Mm-hmm. And it was very hard to make an appointment, I remember. And I didn't want to wait. And I wanted a cheetah no. now, you know? Cheetahs are fast. They're in the business of speed. You know, why am I waiting for a cheetah? Get me a cheetah right now. Right, you didn't want to play by the rules because you were kind of a cheetah. Uh, uh, please, again, please. Was that please. another one of those jokes that you were please, talking yes, about? Okay, yes. okay. Oh. <laughs> that was a, that was a te- cheetah, yes. <clears throat> okay, uh, you were very big in France. Mm-hmm. Do you, you speak French? May, may, may I hear some French? Oui. Wow. Thank you. That means like, yes. Yes. We, we, we. Right. Oui, if you oui. ask somebody like, you know, are, are you happy today? You would say, we. Oui. Mm-hmm. Yes. It mostly means, uses, yes. it's good for questions, honestly, but not much else. Right. I kind of lost a lot of French, you know, being in heaven, everyone kind of talks the same. Everyone can understand It's English. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all English up in heaven. Yeah. yeah that's so the I, 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 you know, am I a little out of practice, honestly? World War II starts. I'm not going to, that's not really your fault. That was more on me. Uh, and you spend it helping the French resistance. Yes. Before the invasion of France, you would attend parties at the Italian embassy, and you would hobnob with some diplomats, the Italians, the Japanese officials, the bureaucrats, and you, you would use your charm and your celebrity to gather information about troop locations. Mm-hmm. How, how do you go about doing that? It's very easy. When men are horny, they just keep talking. You know, you just like... Get a little close to them and start just rubbing your hands in little places, give them some more drinks. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know, I have a lot of friends and they're actually located in this location. And they're, you know, they just they just tell you things and I write it all down and no one seemed to notice. It was quite amazing. I actually, because I'm God, I have the ability to go back and play clips from history. Mm-hmm. Here's an incredible clip. This is you actually getting information covertly on the QT without this guy even realizing at a party at the Italian embassy in Paris in 1939. Here, here we go. Josephine, Josephine, my name is Giancarlo. I'm a big fan of yours. Oh, thank you. And, and what do you do? I uh, supply weapons to the Germans. Really? Well, what will they be invading next? I cannot discuss this. Oh, please. No. Please. Uh, no. Please. Uh, no. Fine. <gasps> Please. They are invading Belgium next Friday at the 6. Oh, Josephine, I cannot resist your hair. Okay, bye-bye. Amazing. And after the war, your work for France earned you the Croix de Guerre, the Rosette de la Résistance, and the Chevalier of the Légion d'Honneur, mm-hmm. which begs the question... Did I pronounce those right? Is that did that sound? That that sounded good to me. Yeah. We. Oui. Thank you. You married four times in your life. Your third and fourth marriages lasted a little bit longer, 
but you spent a lot of time in your 50s and 60s uh, doing something called uh, developing your rainbow tribe. Mm -hmm. You had a nice estate in southwest France. You went around adopting uh, a dozen different children of every variety. You adopted a French daughter, a Moroccan daughter, and 10 sons, Korean, Japanese, Colombian, Finnish, French, French, Israeli, Algerian, Ivorian, and Venezuelan. You were Angelina Jolie before Angelina Jolie. She ripped you off, right? She I did. Mean, she, no she, one she brought my off. name up once when she started adopting kids. And I was like, excuse me, excuse me, this has been done. Are you kidding me? She didn't even have a name for her thing. I had a rainbow yeah. tribe. What was hers? A smattering? A shelter? What was that? The Jolie Consortium? Who knows? Ugh. She stole your thing. That's your bit. That's my thing. She might as well have walked around with a 16 banana dress. You know, it's the same thing. Exactly. And I wouldn't be surprised if she tried. My goodness. Uh, I should mention before, I, I shouldn't not mention the fact that uh, you, were, uh, you were bisexual, as all the mm -hmm. most cool people tend to be. And you had relationships with, among others, Frida Kahlo. Yes, yes. Beautiful woman. Now, I have to ask, with, with Frida Kahlo, was it the unibrow? Was that a turn on for you? I mean, honestly, a hairy woman really does it for me. Like, the fact that she didn't care. Oh, my goodness. But also her brain. You know, beautiful, beautiful brain, honestly. And I don't like labels. You know, this bisexual. I don't, I don't like, we're all... We'll, if you if someone is willing to have sex with you, you are going to want to do it. People like sex. So you think everybody ultimately is on a spectrum and is, is bisexual? Yes. What about Mitch McConnell? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Really? Uh, yes. Have you seen that mouth? Uh, yes. That mouth is ready to kiss and suck anything. Anyway, 73, you finally return in triumph to America. You play Carnegie Hall. Mm -hmm. A couple of years later, you were found lying peacefully in your bed, passed away. You were surrounded by newspapers with glowing reviews of your performance. That is how you passed away, surrounded by reviews. You had a huge funeral. Your legacy lives on today. You are a huge heroine among the Black community, particularly among Black women. And there's a few people I want to mention. I want to get your, your thoughts about them, what you think of them and mm -hmm. their careers. Uh, the first one, obviously, Beyonce. Uh, she's a huge admirer of yours. She once wore a 16-banana dress, in tribute to you, acknowledged you. Your thoughts about Beyonce? I do like Beyonce. I, I think she's so powerful and so and so uh, performative and talented. And, and yes, I did see the banana dance. It wasn't as good as mine, but I did think it was a nice homage. I thought that was very cute. If you could give her notes on the banana dance that she did for next time, what would the notes be? Maybe calm down. There was like a lot of energy. It was like too much. It was like too much frenetic energy. There wasn't a lot of ease to it. But yeah. you know, when you're paying tribute to a legend, I understand you get a little nervous. So that's probably what was happening. Rihanna, a huge fan of yours. Mm -hmm. You like Rihanna? I also like Rihanna. She's bold. She's daring. She'll do whatever she wants, whatever she wants. And also, like, she'll take a break whenever she wants. You know, people are demanding music from her, and she doesn't want to do it right now. And I say, kudos to you, girl. Do whatever you please. You don't have to be in a box. Are you a musician? Are you a makeup connoisseur? Are you a fashion designer? You do it all. Do it all. Amazing. And what else would you want to say to the young black women of this country who are looking for inspiration, who just passed through a period and are still going through a period of incredible racism as per usual mm -hmm. in the United States? Uh, what can you say to inspire them to be your, their own woman as you so, so wonderfully were? I would say... Revel in your blackness. You are beautiful and you have something that people admire. 
Go forth, be black, be bold, be beautiful, be talented, and keep creating what feels right to you. That's what I would say. Josephine Baker, I know you're due back in heaven. I believe you're doing a show up in the club up there right now. I am. I am. Yes, I have clouds strapped to my waist. <laughs> Josephine Baker, thank you so much for shopping by. You had no choice. I did beckon you. you I'm going to send you yes. back right now. But thank you so much for being here. And thank you. Ta-da. <laughs> Ta-da. And there you have it, my interview with the incredible Josephine Baker. Wow, that was an amazing interview, my lord. I learned so much about her. It was just, it felt like I was hearing a conversation, like almost like a Howard Stern interview. Whoa, no. Yeah. Really? Yeah, you're a really good interviewer, God. Oh, wow, thank you. He's like a, a me to me. Oh, God. are you blushing? No, I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not. Well, I meant it. I'm not blushing. I just, I'm not, I'm not blushing. Well, that's our show. I want to thank Josephine Baker. I want to thank our prayer of the week, Nine Gwyn. I want to thank Jerry Falwell for his insight into what it's like to be in hell for eternity. And of course, I want to thank, as always, my lovely and talented sidekick, Ms. Joan of Arc. Always an honor, my lord. Yes, for you, I'm sure it is. See you all next week. Of course, I'll be seeing you all continuously every moment of your life, given my abilities, but I'll see you on the Godcast next week. Godcast is a Forever Dog production. Audio production and engineering by Left Handed Radio. Executive produced by Alex Ramsey, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and David Jabberbaum. Original music by Gabe Lopez. Joan of Arc appears courtesy of Tara Sands. For more original podcasts, visit foreverdogpodcasts.com. And subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free episodes and exclusive bonus content from this show and others, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. And if you haven't already, remember to follow God on Twitter at The Tweet of God. Forever. Forever.